Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys and enjoy. Good morning. I feel like it's been a bit since I've been up here to share with you. Um, I do have some announcements, so I'm going to just hold those all off to the end so we can get in the Word, and it'll space the announcements out, just a few extras. But um, this morning, the title of my message is Trust Him and Endure. I don't even love that word, endure. With joy. Somebody say, trust him and endure with joy. That is my message this morning. So are you ready to see the example and get some words so you can get that in your soul and it's not just a title on the screen? We're going to turn to the book of Habakkuk. And if you have your Bibles, just head over there because sometimes I like to have the, the um, <clears throat> physical Bible versus the phone app Bible because as the speaker is ministering, sometimes there's things that I catch or I see or I underline or I go, oh, I want to go back to that. And that's one reason why I, I, love, I love this physical word. But I am also one of those that pull it up on my phone too. Um, so whatever you have this morning, or if you don't have, I have scriptures that will be highlighted up here. So this, um, I'll start off with saying Solomon said that there is nothing new under the sun. How many of you know that? History repeats itself. A lot of times there's things that, oh, that's happened before. Um, and so we're going to read this, and we're going to have an understanding, or you'll probably have some moments of going, oh, yeah, sounds familiar. Sounds like something maybe our nation is going through. <laughs> sounds like something maybe I'm experiencing. So nothing is new. And I know that this um, area of Scripture is dealing with um, God's people and one of his prophets, but it's applicable to us today because we can learn from other people's experiences. I was the baby of my family. Um, I know you would have never known that. Um, <laughs> and I can remember, like, I had an older sibling who, uh, who blew their engine because they didn't check their oil. And so then when the next sibling came along, they heard all about that, about how important it was to check your oil. So when it came along for me to drive, which is, I'm six years apart from the child above me, um, 14 years apart from the other one, so I really am a widespread baby um, of the family, I was like, yeah, 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 I know, check the oil. <laughs> because I got to see other people's mistakes and hear about it over and over again, that by the time it came along to me, I'm like, yes, yes, I know this. Um, and so... You know, we can learn from other people's mistakes if we're teachable. Amen? And so it's important for us because I can also remember my dad being like, okay, you think you're smarty pants, but change your oil, you know, because he wanted me to not just know it, but to allow it to soak in so that I could learn from it and not make the same mistake. 
So I feel like there's a lot of things in God's word that's that way to us, right? We're like, well, that was for different people. Why do I need to know this? We need to know this because we need to walk through the principles, what happened, and understand that we can learn from other people in the Bible and their story. So as we reflect on this book, um, and yes, we're going to go through the book this morning because it's only three chapters, okay? And um, this book is considered, it's classified, if those of you who went through our Wednesday night Bible study series, it's one of the minor prophets. Uh, It's a minor prophet book. It's very small. Um, And what's unique about this book is unlike other prophets who actually um, hear from God and then relay it to the people, this particular prophet, he is all about questioning God. And he's got questions, and this is a book of dialogue between the prophet and God. It's not just God speaking to him and then him going to the people and saying, here you go. It's him questioning, complaining, and having dialogue with God. Now, how many of you in your walk with, with God have questioned him, complained? All right? I think we, we all have probably at one point or another in our life questioned why God was doing things the way he was doing it, maybe even complained about the way he was doing it, and wanted some answers. And so right there, that should get, of our, get our attention about this book and go, okay, so how did he handle this and what happened? Are you guys ready to find out? Number one, when what you see isn't good, where is God? The first book, um, the first chapter and the first four verses is Habakkuk's complaint. And he says in verse 2, O Lord, and I think we have this one up here, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. How many of you have ever felt like, God, I keep coming to you and where are you? I've cried out to you. You see the circumstance. You know what's going on. And where are you? So why he is crying out is actually because he sees that God's people are facing moral issues. He's very bothered. He feels unheard. And he's frustrated because God's people, who knows the law, who knows what they should be doing, are not living righteously. And he's taking it to God. And he's like, God, you see the sin. You see the violence. You see what your people are doing. You know they need to repent. And, and he wants God to do something about it. And he also understands somewhat of the bigger picture, and that is that there is another nation that is very evil and possibly will overtake them. So it's like, we got to get our people in order so they can repent, so that they can get their lives right, so that this other nation doesn't overtake us. And so what are you going to do about it? So how many times have we maybe even looked at our nation or our circumstances, people we love in our lives that we know are connected? This is God's people that are doing wrong. This isn't an evil nation, a nation that is, is worshiping other gods and has a different belief system. This is God's people, and they have gotten away from what they knew was right and what they knew that should be happening, and they're sinning, and they're violent, and they're doing things that are not right. And he recognized we are powerless without God. We are powerless in our circumstance and our situation if we don't repent and get God first in our life. And so God, do something. 
And we have people in our lives that we know know God. We, we have people in our lives that we know have been raised in church that know better. And we're looking at them, or maybe we're questioning, God, what are you going to do about them? They know better. We have a nation that has been able to express God and Jesus and understand who he is. And yet we have a nation full of people who confess to be Christians who are living in sin. They've turned their back on what they know is right and what they know is wrong. People, the Ten Commandments are never going to change. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Guess what? God, God took and inscribed them on that tablet. His word doesn't change. And so here's Habakkuk, someone who loves God, who God speaks to because he's a prophet. And he's like, where are you, God? And I think we can relate to that this morning. Why are they getting away with this? Have you ever thought that about somebody? Why are they getting away with this? How come you're not doing anything about it? Don't you see? Don't you care? Don't you know what will happen if they don't repent and get it right? Where is God? But here's the thing. He, didn't dem- he wasn't demanding. This, this verbiage here isn't him demanding. You tell me what you're going to do. It's him going to God with an expectation that, God, I know you know Will you talk to me? And I think it's important for us to go, go to God and, and, and dialogue with him and communicate to him and express our frustrations and what we see. Because he's saying, Lord, you've allowed me to see this. It's not like it's hidden and I don't know. And he had been, wrong, he had been around long enough to know what it was like to live in a season of restoration. Because under King Josiah, God's people experienced good times. They had restoration. And so now he, he's seen what it looks like to be a people who are restored and good. And now he sees what it's like to see a people who have allowed social injustice, idolatry, moral corruption seep in and take over their lives. His heart was for God to bring the people to a place of repentance and back to obedience. He wanted God's people protected from the enemy, from the ungodly nation that threatened them. So he took his frustration and God responded. So if you go back and you're, if you're writing little notes this morning, you can know that chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 is complaint number 1. Starting with verse 5 all the way through the rest of, um, all the way through 11 is God's response. Are you ready to see what God says? Number two, when God doesn't do things the way you would, how will you respond? So God doesn't actually hear, starting with verse 5, make Habakkuk feel very good. He's not giving him any soothing no, uh, news or consoling him, but he actually solidifies that this opposing nation that he's talking about that potentially could take over God's people is very bitter. They're terrible. They're arrogant. They're violent. They're well-equipped. They're prideful. They're an offensive group. And guess what? God's going to let them overtake his people. It says in verse 1-6, For indeed, I am raising up 
the Chaldeans, which is part of the Babylonians, a bitter and, and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So God is saying to him, you're right. There is this group, and I am indeed raising them up to take over my people, my people who have been living against the ways that they know are right. Now, how many of you would expect God to answer that way? Because when we go before God and we're like, God, you see this, you know that, like, like there's this grace for them because they're your people. And so aren't, when are you going to take care of this? When are you going to like, you know, slap them on the hand and tell them, bad boy, um, let's get things in order and do what's right. You know what mom and daddy told you. He doesn't give a comforting word, but he says, no, you're right. They are doing wrong. And I am going to bring correction and discipline to my people. How many of you know the reason why God brings correction and discipline to us? Because he loves us. And he cares about us. And none of us want correction or discipline. But he is a God of correction and discipline. And so he lets them know, I'm going to let this evil group of people bring correction and discipline to my people. All right. Starting with verse 12 in chapter 1, all the way through the end of the chapter, we're going to see complaint number 2 from Habakkuk, which leads us to number 3. When God gives you a response, will you be okay that it's not your way? How many times have God, has God answered you and it wasn't the way you would want to be answered? How many times did he do something so differently than what you thought he would do? How many times did you not like the way God did it? <laughs> All right. Habakkuk understands us, <laughs> or we understand him. So he rebuttals with a complaint to God on how he's handling this. How can you let this awful nation do this to your people? Why are you not defending us? How many times do we get defensive towards God? Why would you use them to overcome us? It just doesn't make sense because they're worse than us. We're doing bad things too, but at least we're your people doing bad things. Does that make sense? How many of us in the Christian world, though, that's how we pattern ourselves? Well, at least I come to church and do drugs. <laughs> at least I'm going to church and having an affair. At least I'm, you, you condone what you do because you consider yourself God's people. I'm not worldly like them. They're just saturated with their sin. I've got just half and half. He's like, don't you understand? We're your people. They're evil. Yet he establishes in his first complaint, God, your people are evil. What are you going to do about it? Now he's like, wait a minute. We're not that evil. He's not okay with it. And he wanted God to do something about it. And he doesn't like the way God has chosen to deal with it. We've been there. So then we see that Habakkuk sits by and he waits. And the very last 
or and actually he, it goes from the very last to um, the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. I think we have 2, 1 up here. He waits for God to basically correct his thinking because he trusts God. God must know. Have you ever been there? God must know something I don't know because I don't understand why he's doing it this way. So he says in 2, uh, two 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am what? When I am corrected. Because my mind is not in a good place with all this that's going on. And I don't see the big picture, but I know he must. And so I'm just going to wait on the Lord that I can be corrected with my thought process. So... To, uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 2, is the Lord's response. See how we talked about this as a dialogue. We're going back and forth. So that leads us to number 4. When God doesn't change his mind, will you accept his plan? How many times do we go before the Lord and we're like, well, maybe if I tell him one more time, he'll understand my way and then we'll get this all straightened out. <laughs> According to me. But when God doesn't change his mind and he's like, this is what he says to him. He basically says, yeah, you know, this, this is happening. In fact, um, it's like as if he's saying, you heard me right, and this is what I want you to do about it. And this is such a famous scripture that people misquote. So I hope you get excited about when you, you hear what this actually means. We're going to start with verse, um, well, at the end of two, I might have only, yeah, I gave you two and three. Then the, the Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. How many of you actually knew when somebody quotes that, write the vision down and run with it? It's not an inspirational, like, what God gives you and what you desire, write it down, and it's going to happen, praise God. What it's saying here is write it down, mark my word, what I said will happen. And I want you to write it down, get this, it says that he may run, go back to, to number two for me if you can, that he may run... Who reads it? So this is twofold here. It can mean that he who runs will read it. So when you're going by, you can, and you, you, you're running by, you see it. It's on this big tablet for everybody to read that this is going to happen. Or when you read it, you will run and go tell somebody what's going to happen. If you see those big uh, billboards that people put on the highways or whatever, you're driving by, and as you're driving by, you might read it and go, Oh, it says grand opening of whatever. Or you're driving by, and it says grand opening, and you get on the phone. Guess what? There's a grand opening. There's going to be a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> All right, so th that is the, the twofold of that. So you're going to be accountable when you go past and read that tablet that this is happening. 
What is happening? This evil group is going to overtake a people who decided not to repent. Read it and run with it. Either the way that you live your life, if you want to just take it personal, or what you share with others, that guess what? This is going to happen, so what do we need to do? We need to come to a place of repentance. How many times did God change in the word the way he was going to do something because of the ones who were repentant? There is a remnant that he will save. Let me say that again. There is a remnant that he will save. And it won't be those who are not repentant. So here he is telling him, I want you to write it down. I want you to make it plain so that people can see. And though it may, how many of you know, nobody likes that it will tarry. Like we want to know, well, when is it happening? Because if I know when it's happening, I'll kind of figure out when I'm going to start, you know, putting some stuff to the side. I'll keep it as long as I can. That's what people want to do with Jesus coming back. I want to keep my sin as long as I can. So if you could tell me what day he's coming back, I'll make sure the night before I have my last, you know, woohoo! And then as I go to bed, I'll be like, God, forgive me. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, all right, I'm ready for you, God. But no, what it's saying here is, you know, wait. Because it will surely come. And it will not tarry. And it will not lie. Man. I bet he was not a well-liked man when he made that tablet and posted it. <laughs> wonder how many people tried to tear that down. Discredit who he was. Oh, he's a nutto. He's crazy. Don't listen to anything he has to say. No. Here's the thing. He was upset with God. And one of his complaints is that, God, if you let, if you let this happen then all your people will die because he knew how evil the Babylonians were. The Chaldeans, that they, you know, I actually did some history, and did you know that when they would go in and they would overtake, they burned everything that the, the specific people were on. So if, if they came to your, your territory and they overtook you, they killed everyone and they burned everything, even the trees, because they wanted nothing and no trace of anything that you had lived on or had or consumed. They were that evil. And because Habakkuk knew how evil they were, he's like, what are you doing? Because this is it. This means that all your people are going to be destroyed. No one will live. And I love in verse 4, and I didn't put it up on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you in 2-4. It says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just there means the righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. There are always some righteous. Noah. And his family were saved. Lot 
was saved. There were 7,000 who did not kneel to Baal who were saved. And there is a remnant. There's always someone who is righteous who will survive by faith. Meaning to be faithful. Many will be destroyed, but the righteous will live by faith, by their faithfulness. God rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. And so God knew that. See, he sees the big picture. Habakkuk saw it through his eyes. Everybody's gone. We're all fried. People are coming in, and God's people is over. But God knew that there will be some righteous who will be saved who will live to tell of how I saved them and what I did for them. And their faith will be stronger and greater because of what I will do for them. Amen? And so then he gives Habakkuk some hope. He goes on to address all of the wrongdoings of this evil nation that's going to stand against God's people. He gives five woes, and we're not going to preach on that and go into that. But basically, in the rest of chapter 2, you will see that there are five woes. And that word woe there is like a curse. So when, when you see that in the Bible, and it's like, woe unto you. It's like, cursed are you because of this. Cursed because you have chosen to do this, or because you're this type of people. And there are five woes there that he addresses, and he goes into, and he gives assurance to Habakkuk in due season— this evil people will be defeated. But in this time, I'm going to use this evil people to bring repentance and correction to my people. Have you ever thought, why did God let them get away with that? How can they destroy and do all the things that they're doing that is against God and evil, and they're just, they're just getting away with that? And God's letting them. He's God, and in his timing... Every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his timing, he will bring the most beautiful story of all, because in his timing, he meets everyone right where they're at when it needs to happen. And it's not our job to bring justice and to decide who and what and when and how. Leave it to him. Because I can guarantee there's some things that you would not have even done as good. He would have got them better than you. There are some things that we would have gotten all out of whack. So leave it to God and let him do it. So God would use this evil nation to bring correction to his people. He would also bring judgment and destroy the wicked people. He knows they're evil. He knows they're prideful and greedy. And how many of you know the word of God says, Pride cometh before the... So he is true to his word all throughout how he deals with things. Uh, in some circumstances, we have to come to a place where we understand God is just. He has the last say. Evil will not get away without his judgment. Yet we also have to understand that God loves us, and he will correct us, and he will put things in order in such a way that his people can, if they desire and want, freedom. Amen? It might not be our way, but it's his way, and his ways are higher than ours. And that can be hard to swallow. So, <clears throat> I want to show you in verse 20, the very last, 
um, area of chapter 2. It says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is very interesting because in chapters 1 and 2, if you were to group this this book together, you would put 1 and 2 together and you would put 3 here. And in 1 and 2, we see Habakkuk's two complaints and we see God's response. And 3 is all about the change in Habakkuk. But before we see that change, we see in the very last verse in chapter 2 that he's basically told to shut up, get silent. And when he got silent before God, and he began to reflect on who God is, the grandeur of, 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 of all that God can do, and he stopped talking, and he stopped complaining, and he just got in silence, he was inspired, and his outlook changed. Can I tell you, sometimes you just need to shut up, and get alone with God, and be quiet, and allow him to speak to you. I love that Myra said, wherever you are, Myra, this morning what she said, because I thought, how funny that that's in my notes, that sometimes we just need to get silent before God. Sometimes it's in the silence that we are changed, and our outlook is changed, and our heart is changed, and we can be inspired when we get quiet and we get God's perspective, not our perspective. But as long as we keep yik, 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 complain, 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 I don't understand, why are you doing it this way, I don't like this, blah, 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 and we just go on and on and on. How many of you have had, don't raise your hand, somebody in your life that's done that and you're like, I just need a break from this person. I gotta like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> because it's just, and you try to get a word in and you can't. Or you give and you have this conversation. You're like, I've gave them all the advice in the world and they just don't listen. We've talked and we've talked and we went back and forth and I've given them everything I know. But when you get quiet and you begin to soak in, what did God just tell me? Wow. Wow. He's going to save the faithful. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to believe that there's going to be some repentant people that are going to change their ways, and God is going to have mercy on them. I'm going to trust the Lord in this. And we begin to build ourselves up in our faith of who God is and what he's going to do. Then we become a new person in our mindset. So number five, when God shows his divine power, will you acknowledge him? So when you go into chapter 3, and you read chapter 3, um, and you look at his response, my Bible breaks it down in two ways, that Habakkuk actually has a prayer, and then he has a song. Knowing who God is humbles us to a place of prayer. And it also can create a song in our hearts that rejoices in who God is. So in the beginning, there's this prayer. And in this prayer, he does say, God, would you have mercy on your children? 
Would you offer mercy? It says in it's verse 3, 2, it says, In wrath, remember mercy. I receive that you're going to do it your way. I receive that you have a plan. But in your wrath, would you offer mercy to the faithful, to the just? Don't you love that we serve a God like that? Don't you believe in a God like that? I believe that God is so merciful. And so he offers a prayer and he offers a hymn after God has spoken. He stops trying to make sense of it from his perspective. And he understands that God's not going to work on my level. He's going to work on his. And I'm encouraged because he acknowledges God's greatness and God's power and his faithfulness. That he's going to defeat the evil and bring justice. But I love how he changed his doubts into greater faith. Um, there's an area, I think it is all in verse, in chapter 3, the beginning, it's all about he. If you'll, it'll say, you know, his, he stood and measured the earth, his glory, and he's, he is bringing out all about him, like as, as if he was speaking to us saying, he, his, God is this, he's to be glorified. And then, then he changes his his verbiage from he and his to you and your. He begins, he begins to speak to God and say, you, you are this and yours is this. Your, 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 um, your bow is, was made quite ready. If you go through, I'm not going to break all that down, but I just want you to get this in your head. He goes from he, acknowledging to the crowds, this is who he is, to you, God, this is who you are. And then the end, in the latter part of, of chapter 3, he begins to say, I. He begins to make it personal. And how many times in our walk we need to confess to others, this is who he is. This is who my God is. And then we have to change our verbiage and say, you know what, it's not just what I'm telling others about, but God, this is who you are to me. This is who I know you are. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are just. You are righteous. You are holy. And you begin to speak to not just other people, but to God who he is. You see, I can tell you, uh, guys, my husband over here, he is wonderful. I love him. He's a good husband. I can tell all of you, but if I never say to him, Jonathan, I love you. You are a good husband. I am so thankful for you. There's a difference. And Habakkuk gets an understanding of, I need to tell people that God is this. And then, God, I need to tell you, you are this to me. And then I'm going to make it personal by saying, I. I. And, and that those eyes come in in the song that he wrote at the end. And we are going to close. Worship team can come. Habakkuk 3, um, 17. I think we have this up here. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. Now get, before we move on, go back to that. He knew, because remember, I told you how evil this people would. They're going to come in and destroy everything. There's not going to be a fig. There's not going to be an olive. There's going to be no food to be yielded because they're going to burn all of our crops. They're going to take everything we have away from us. This is what I'm writing on the tablet. This is what is going to happen. Though all this happens, 
Now we can go to the next verse. <laughs> and there be no herd in the stalls, yet here's where he brings the eye in. Okay, so he's talked about this is who God is. He is this. And then he says, God, you are this. And this is how I respond to you in song. Yet I am not responsible for you. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Who has salvation? Those who repent. You don't get salvation without repentance. See, that's sometimes the problem in the church. We say, Jesus came to save us of our sins. If you believe in him, God the creator, Jesus the son who came to forgive us, then you get to make it to heaven. Not if you don't repent. Because to believe is to come to a place that says, I'm sorry I did it my way. I'm sorry I didn't acknowledge you in my circumstance. I am sorry that I have went against what your word says is right. And I ask for forgiveness. And when you do that, you have salvation. So I can rejoice in the Lord knowing what kind of God he is. He's the kind of God that sent his one and only son to carry the burdens of the world and die upon a cross for me for my family, for the people that I look at at Walmart that I know nothing about, that I don't understand or get. I know when I am standing in the store, he died for every single person that's in that store. I will rejoice in the Lord because he is good and he has the heart of a father who loves us. And I will joy in the God of my salvation because I've made it personal in my life. I have repented. I have asked for forgiveness. And I can take great joy in knowing that. The Lord God is my strength. When there's no fig to pull from and eat on a tree, when I don't know where the water is for nourishment, when all the stalls are empty and all of the animals have been slaughtered, he is my strength. He is where my nourishment will come from. He is who I will turn to. And you know what? He's not going to just let me barely get by. But this is what he'll do. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. I can gallop like a deer. Have you seen deer go? <laughs> I'm not just going to be scragging along, but I'm going to have feet like a deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. I may not have the strength to climb, but he will allow me to walk on those high hills, on those difficult things that are so much bigger than me like for these people, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Habakkuk's verbiage changed because one, he conversed with God. And some of us 
are struggling and you're taking it to other people, but you're not taking it to God. And you need to converse with God the things you're angry about, the things you don't understand, the things that you think he's done wrong. And you need to say, God, I don't understand and allow him to speak to you and be okay that it may not be your way. It might not have been your plan. You may not understand, but if you can get alone in the silence of God, I promise you he'll speak to your heart and you'll understand he is a God who loves. He is a God who cares. And if you are his child, you can rise up in strength knowing that he will give you the strength to go through whatever it is that you're faced with. Because it says, though I don't have these things, I'm not going to reflect on what I don't have. I'm not going to reflect that everything was taken from me and all is gone. And there's a group of people that's, that's gone from my life. I'm going to reflect on the fact that I have a God who loves, who corrects. I have a God who saved my soul. And I have a God who will give me the strength to endure every high hill that is set before me. Man. Thank you, Jesus, because we serve a God who wants us to trust him and endure with joy. Trust him and endure with joy. It took three chapters to the very last couple of lines for Habakkuk to realize he needed joy in the midst of all of it. But he got it. God wants to give you joy. He wants to fill you up in the midst of your hardship. Does it mean things aren't hard? Does it mean things are going to be easy? No. That, do you think what those people went through were easy? No. I don't know how they endured what they did. But thank God for a prophet who got a word, wrote it down, let the people know. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.